Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Ben Taylor, Chief Technical Officer at Rainbird, an artificial intelligence platform, and Paul McNamara, Chief Executive of FinTech Group eValue. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Hello. Robo-advice has been a controversial topic in the industry over the past few years. Some have argued the role of an advisor could never be truly usurped by tech, while others think it is the future of the industry. Recently, robo-advisors have come and gone, some unable to make a profit, and experts have said many robo-advisors were spending too much money on acquiring new customers to have a viable business model. The Financial Conduct Authority recently said it was in untested waters when it came to regulating the artificial intelligence behind robo-advice. Others have gone as far to say that regulating true robo-advice is an impossible task. So, starting with regulation, um, Paul, do you think robo-advice can be properly regulated within our current regulatory framework? I think the short answer is yes, but of course there's lots of nuance (laughs) to that. Um, In fact, the term robo-advice needs to be clarified, I think. There are those who think that's a very, very straightforward way of giving simple algorithms to consumers. Um, But if you want true advice that gives personalised recommendations to individuals, then it needs to follow all of the regulatory steps that a normal advisor would, and that is truly knowing a customer, looking at their goals, looking at the risks they want to take and their personal uh, choices they need to make so that you're giving fully suitable advice. And then I think the technology can be used either to make advisors more productive by having more tools at their disposal and helping them on their workflow and engaging their clients uh, better. It doesn't necessarily have to be standalone technology that does not include a human interaction. Uh, Although for a certain segment of the population who are very, very happy to be self-directed, that part of the market does work without without humans. Okay, great. So I guess carrying on from that, you talk about how technology can help a standard advisor's um, role in advising their clients. Ben, I'm going to turn to you now. So what do you think about the regulation of robo-advice that maybe comes from the machine learning, the technical side of it? So I think you make up on a very good point there that um, without properly defining what we mean by robo-advice, it's very difficult to understand what the regulation is going to look like. The risks and considerations are very different depending on what we really mean when we're talking about giving advice. It might be that we're using some sort of statistical methods, machine learning or something along those sorts of lines to do some prior analysis of some data to make some future prediction. Now, regulating that would be a very different kettle of fish from regulating something which is replacing or replicating some sort of human type reasoning, which then you can explain the way that that judgment was reached. So having a human in the loop and what that really looks like and what the regulation need, how the regulation needs to evolve as a result, really does depend on what the underlying technology is and what the outcomes for the customer are expected to be. Okay, so uh, hypothetically, if we take a situation where we have a robo-advice service that typically ran with with no humans in the loop, we're talking kind of mm-hmm. purely based on the machine learning we're talking about, would you guys say that that is something that could be regulated and would kind of hold up to scrutiny with the Financial Conduct Authority? Yeah, well, I think everyone in the industry knows um, the very clear distinction in the UK between personal recommendations, which are regulated advice, and those that are not, which is guidance or information which consumers can 
make up their own mind on. And so I think it's very, very, you have to be crystal clear which of those two categories we're talking about. So where consumers are getting support through technology and guidance and help, um, that works quite well. But indeed, as I mentioned earlier, for a segment of the population rather than everyone, those who are engaged and comfortable making their own decisions and want to take control. So when you're giving personalised recommendations, um, clearly there will be a segment of the population who always want to talk to an individual. They will always want to have a personal interaction with another human being. But there's also a, a meaningful segment who will be happy to get personal recommendations through technology. And then the critical question becomes, how do you take all of their personal circumstances into account? Which is not about broad data and inferences from broad data. It's about knowing deeply what the individual circumstances are and bringing to bear good logic, standard approaches, but also any overrides required if there's particular requirements of that consumer that can't be dealt with through an algorithm or through a, a set of rules. Um, so I do think the market will evolve. I think those who claim to be robo-advisors right now are not the ultimate model. I think those who are in the advice market who want to be more productive and to engage their clients as well as giving personalised advice will be evolving their models too. So it's all to play for. I think the industry will evolve over the next five, ten years. To declare easy answers right now, I think, is, is premature. An interesting time. Um, yes, indeed. Okay, great. So, Ben, how does, as a follow-up from what Paul said, how does that work for kind of the economics of, of robo-advice firms? I think there's some really interesting challenges in data. I'd absolutely take your point about needing to go very narrow and deep on an individual as opposed to looking at a broad market set of data. And a lot of the technologies that we've seen recently have been taking a much broader approach. That has some quite substantial data engineering, data science challenges um, that it brings with it. And very often the temptation is to think that using machine learning or some kind of algorithmic or statistical approach to solving some of these, which are really automation type problems, um, it's almost a, a magic bullet that's going, that's going to solve some of these problems. But really what you end up doing is moving the friction in building these things somewhere else. So somebody needs to go and do some data engineering or some data science. That's an expensive, time-consuming, quite frictional process for organisations that may not hold the clean data that they really think that they're going to hold, which causes some of these things to actually take a lot longer than um, you might really believe to bring to market. And I just, just add to that, when you're thinking of the economics for businesses, um, I think the biggest cost and the biggest um, business case challenge is always around how do you interact with, find new clients and service them well? Because it's not just building the infrastructure and the logic and the data. It's in, how do you engage the customers? Uh, uh, behind your question, a lot of those who have um, entered what they um, have described as robo-advice find their main challenge is the cost of marketing and the cost of acquiring consumers as the big challenge they have. And... While we don't like to admit it, most people in the market are not that engaged with their financials. Mm. So how do you stimulate mm. in an engaging and helpful way mm. through different routes and diff different channels and customers who can then benefit from good advice and, and good recommendations for their, their business choices and their personal choices? Mm. I guess that's particularly true if you consider the kinds of consumers that these kinds of tools are targeted at. They're not targeted at the ultra high net worths who are going to always be looking for personal advice. It's for the kind of middle market and lower who will... Um, maybe not be searching necessarily for a financial advisor or for a robo-advisor. They might be searching for investment products or something along those kinds of lines. Mm. So reaching those people with robo-advice will be very hard. Mm. Okay, cool. So do, would you say that, I mean, I mean, over the past year, we've kind of seen robo-advisors that have come and gone, many citing 
cost problems for their departure, do you think that, that it's the marketing and sourcing new clients that has been the key drive to these, you know, Investex, click and invest um, kind of models? It's that finding new clients that have really, really kind of stifled their attempts. Uh, yeah, I think the challenge for brands and customer reach um, is really how do you get scale in the marketing side and how do you get cut through on your marketing spend? What is interesting as the industry involves is not the distinction between new entrants and large incumbents. It's how the best of technology and new business models emerge between both. Because what I think is really interesting is the cost of interaction between players is now falling. So the cost of holding data, the cost of transmitting data, new APIs as an approach for drawing in algorithms or, or logic into a business flow, um, that's becoming easier. So the question then becomes a business model question. Um, what is the right strategy to attract the right consumer group with the right offer? And that is as much an opportunity for large incumbent players who've got large established client bases as it is for new entrants who are trying to do new and different things. And I think collaboration across the industry is going to be very, very interesting to watch mm -hmm. how new capabilities are brought to bear on existing players who have large established enforced customers or asset bases or advice that has been given previously that needs to be updated. You can imagine that changing regulation in this space might support the growing ecosystem as people get better at sharing data as regulation, mm. particularly around uh, data governance and data privacy gets stronger and allows individuals to share their data and uh, understand the way their data is going to be then shared on to other, th other third parties uh, may well support this ecosystem. Yeah, that's hugely interesting. If we think ahead of how new data sets are emerging, so we have open banking already and you can infer quite a, an amount from individuals' information if you have the right inf information and permissions about their spending habits and their income levels, etc. Then the question becomes, how does data emerge for fact finds that have been previously captured. That's personal information. There's been some discussion in the industry about making portable fact finds. So once you've covered all the information for a piece of advice, deep information about yourself, is that something that becomes portable in the future under GDPR, etc.? Um, what controls are put around that? Is there going to be the equivalent of open banking for asset management products? Or indeed, the pensions dashboard um, is in early stages of being developed. So the industry has a whole new set of mechanisms to collaborate on behalf of consumers and to give better outcomes to consumers because nobody likes spending time either as an advisor or a consumer on lots of data entry, lots of clarification of goals, etc. Um, so how do you make this more frictionless and which industry players will get the better approach that, that will work for a, a consumer group? And I think that is, as I said earlier, all to play mm -hmm. for at the moment. Good stuff. So I guess another another big criticism, which I think we should discuss about robo-advice, is um, their inability to tackle kind of complex human scenarios. For instance, a lot of people in the mortgage world cite uh, Habito and Trussell as kind of um, online robo-brokers that have ended up kind of having to hire human advisors in the background. Do you think that there is, um, either now or in the future, the kind of tech and robo-advice that can deal with those intricacies. Yeah, absolutely. And we see this in other industries. So consumers are now much more comfortable than they were doing transactions online for travel, for media, for um, their consumption of telecoms, um, for payments, in fact, within financial services. In particular, where there's high frequency and they get comfortable, they get to know a system and they can trust that their interactions are going to work the way they expect, etc. But for long-term savings, for retirement, for assets, 
there's much less frequent interaction. Uh, and therefore, how do you learn from what other industries have done and then bring across the consumer expectation and the new technologies in a way that will work for them? And I think that's where, in, in fairness to the regulator, they've been not just playing to their traditional um, role of making sure there's good outcomes for customers, but they're increasingly spending time on how do you have innovation and new competition in the market, which I, I think we should all welcome. Absolutely. I, I think I think I would echo all of that. I think it's very exciting to see the regulator trying to stimulate competition in the market. I think that's that's great to see. I think the technology is there to be able to allow these technologies to handle much more complex cases. I think what we're seeing is that it's still very early days. And uh, to your point of needing to drive a much deeper understanding of an individual, it's going to take time before we've actually got the data or the understanding of the way people interact with these new technologies in this market in particular before we can see how the technology will evolve. But the technology should be there to be able to go and support it. Well, as you say, we've seen evidence of this in, in other markets being really very successful. Um, and it's interesting to see also the kind of demographic of people who are interacting with these kinds of technologies and the way they interact with other technology in their lives. So you can start to build up a pattern or a picture of somebody who is using their mobile phone a lot, who is using their mobile phone perhaps to do lots of daily transactions and being able to share some of those data to allow us to build a better picture of that individual. Once we can do that, then we can go and tackle the more complex ends of some of these cases, bring in some human reasoning and actually get this into something which is it's really powerful and doesn't just deal with the, with the simple cases. That's right. And I think the holy grail here will be really getting multi-channel approaches to work for the large institutions. So where a consumer wants to do something relatively straightforward, like update their data or get a statement or get um, a simple transaction through and don't need a lot of what frankly is expensive input from highly qualified advisors, then how do they do that um, without needing to, when they don't want to, um, sit down face to face or have a personal conversation? But then how do you use all that information when a more complex decision needs to be made so that the productivity of that more expensive and and more complex interaction can be dramatically improved so that a client is doing something that's really meaningful for them. Uh, The advisor is forearmed with all of the previous information, previous instructions that have come through other channels, give appropriate advice and then allow the consumer to engage as they want, either with further face-to-face interaction or as most do, pretty regardless of wealth levels or sophistication levels, mm-hmm. with just direct access when they need it. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of hear about advisors and mortgage brokers in particular talking about what moves the regulator is making in in the industry and how, let's say, like forward thinking um, advisors really want technology to be there to support them they don't like the admin they don't like the burden of the fact find they don't like having to maybe have these um sometimes deeply personal conversations with 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 their clients and so if they could spend more of the time on doing the advice part which is you know what they're qualified to do then the tech is the supportive part of the process rather than a usurping aspect which i think it can commonly be misinterpreted as Mm. So I guess uh, you briefly touched on it there, Ben. You were talking about which demographics are going to be kind of most likely to support this kind of this kind of progress in the industry. That was actually going to be one of my my questions. What part of the market do you see this most likely to infiltrate, both in demographic of the client and in kind of sector? You know, mortgages, investments, pensions. Um, ben, maybe I'll go to you on this first. I think there's a really interesting. Uh, you mentioned trust. 
I think there's a really interesting piece of research that has just been done, I forget who it was by, that shows that there's a lot that's been said about trust in this sector in general being at an all-time low, but actually that we can demonstrate that that's not really the case, that actually along among more tech-savvy younger people, there is an increase in the likelihood that they're going to trust financial institutions, particularly if they're interacting with them digitally. Now, for these kinds of products and the sorts of things to, that we're talking about today to really have a sustainable future, we need to be able to build trust in those technologies that we're deploying. But as they're able to start interacting just more generally, whether it's on the day-to-day -day basis with their bank and able to see um, transactions they're making and their savings or whatever it might be, before they've even thought about taking financial advice from somewhere, we're starting to build a picture where those kinds of younger tech-savvy people are able to trust the likelihood that, that something that's giving them advice is going to um, be giving them good advice. And maybe you'll see a future where we talked about some of the simpler models evolving over time that actually we can make a small near-term good recommendation to a young tech-savvy person based on some of their data and things that we're understanding about them. That allows them to trust that it's made a good decision and maybe they'll open up a little bit more of their data to us so that we can make more complex decisions over time and maybe we'll make a sort of mid-term recommendation which might also then turn out to be quite a good recommendation. We can start to build up that picture of the individual um, over time in, in a whole new way. So I think in terms of demographics it's very obvious that that kind of mark, that that kind of group of people, younger people, people who are already interacting um, on a daily basis with the other institutions who are part of their lives with technology, is going to be a big focus. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely echo the distinction on trust. If you ask people generally what they think of the industry, you get low trust scores. But if you ask them about the relationship they have with an individual advisor who has built up a relationship with them, then they have very high trust. Um, and I think that is incredibly interesting. But but to your broader question about how the market might segment. You can imagine um, different contexts. Um, so the workplace is very, very interesting where people do trust what their advisor may be giving them if it's endorsed by their employer. And that works particularly well at the higher end of the market where there is good advice for more wealthy employees. The real challenge is how to give more useful guidance and more useful advice as relevant to the more broad part of the employment base. Um, and there's lots of work being done by benefit consultants and employers to solve that. It's particularly true for people coming up to retirement, where they have to make big decisions now after pensions freedom, where such decisions weren't required uh, in the past. You've just got a pension. But equally, where people have relationships through their bank, um, can you add on services on top of a high frequency relationship that's already in place and trusted? So people are now very, very comfortable with mobile banking or foreign exchange um, as they're coming through. Uh, those parts of the market that are happy to trade, very, very happy to to do that themselves. So how do you bolt on relevant services that builds on the comfort and the trust that is in place with those established relationships? You can imagine the wealthier end of the market wanting to move down market through use of technology. So opening up higher productivity through use of data, through use of algorithms um, that will enable much higher numbers of client per advisor to be uh, addressed economically and, and supported. Uh, so I think depending on where people have existing relationships through different channels, uh, the market will evolve in a way that builds on existing trusted models and trusted relationships, whether that's existing players who are doing that or whether it's new new players coming into the market who are addressing un, unmet needs. So I think that the um, one of the important things in thinking about how these things might evolve over time is this idea of them being over multiple channels. So it will become important to build models that can take data and information across different channels for different ways that individuals might want to interact 
whether it's through a, an existing human financial advisor being supported by a model or through their mobile banking and actually being able to operate over lots of different channels uh, all at once to, so you can leverage those, those trusted relationships. I think that will become increasingly important. Mm. And one area I think where new technology is going to help a lot is to make content more engaging. Um, so the most boring document people get every year is their <laughs> annual pension statement. Um, never read. Um, lots of documentation, loads of information that really doesn't cut through. So how do you condense uh, that information into simple things that people really need to know? Mm. Can you put, uh, for instance, personal animation and video with high content that makes it easy to understand? How do you make it more personalised so you don't need to read lots of generic material that's not relevant to you, but you only to see a portion of it and that's what you see? And I think that's where technology can really, really work to be more engaging, to be more focused on what's important to an individual and, and remove the stuff that's boring, remove the stuff that is not relevant. And some people say that regulation gets in the way of doing that or compliance teams do, etc. That's just frankly not true, where you are working on behalf of a consumer so they understand what they need to understand and you remove lots of complexity that is not relevant, then that is the way forward. I saw a great example of some technology just recently that can do precisely that. It, uh, over time, builds up a picture of an individual's view of the kind of content that they like. So it will just, it will make a suggestion of whether somebody is a headline sort of person or a very detail-oriented sort of person. Okay. So when it comes to getting your yearly pension statement, if it knows you're a detail-oriented sort of person, it will give you that long, boring document that only wow. one in 100 people read. But if you're a headline sort of person, it would give you just the headlines because it knows how, how best to communicate with you over time. Is that built up from kind of like history of, of what you've been more kind of what you've gravitated towards on the internet and stuff yeah, like that. So it's a, yeah, so it's a mixture of some machines. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.